Well, good morning. It's a real joy to be here. Thank you for, for having me. Uh, I count your pastor, your pastor Steve, a dear friend, and we've been friends for years. We've done ministry together for years, and I've been trying to get up here because I've heard a lot about you all, too. And so it's real exciting for me to be able to be here and meet many of you and to stand here in this place where I know God's Word is, is preached every week, is, uh, is honored, and is seen in the, the role it's supposed to play in our lives. So I'm grateful for my friend and, and honored that he would ask me to come and, and be here with you to, to preach God's Word. And we're going to look at Titus chapter 2, if you want to keep your Bible open there to that place. We're going to look at the whole chapter uh, that we just had read by Brody. I'm thankful for him doing that. Uh, I've been a pastor for 25 years, and a couple years ago I transitioned to lead a ministry full-time for pastors and churches all around the world. It's a ministry called Practical Shepherding, and that's what I do now full-time for the ministry that I do. And I want to share with you an interesting experience I've had as I've gotten to really travel the world and work with all kinds of pastors and churches. There's two main kinds of churches that I find out there today, and and it's not just in North America, it's, it's all around the world. There are two kinds of churches. One is usually an older, historic church that maybe was thriving at one time, but hard times have, have brought it to a really difficult place. It had been in decline for many years. And a lot of times, it's on its last leg. There are, there are a thousand churches, Baptist churches, closing throughout North America every year. And so there's a real issue with a lot of these established churches that are dying and closing. And what I find is as I work with them, is they're typically made up of one generation, usually the older generation. And then the other kind of church I I work with is a lot of church plants and newer churches that have been established. And a lot of times, these are vibrant churches with a lot going on, but they typically are made up of one generation, also the younger generation. And I find something fascinating as I work with both of these churches. They both actually agree on something. They think the hindrance to the ministry they're trying to accomplish is the other one. And I find that in God's Word, there's a very different design for the church than just having one kind of person, one type of generation in a a church. But that God calls us to have multiple generations, all kinds of different kinds of people actually in the same church. And we see that blueprint for God's design in the book of Titus, particularly in chapter 2 that we just Read here. Let me give a little background since we're jumping into Titus. The, the main idea of the book of Titus, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his young pastoral protege, Titus, asking him to set in order what remains. You see that in chapter 1. He's in Crete, he's saying, go and finish setting up these churches, in a sense, is what he's saying to them. And so in chapter 1, the very first thing he tells them is who should serve as pastors, elders in the church. Can we agree that's probably an important thing? establishing a church and that's the first thing he says and so the first half of chapter one if you take your eyes back just to chapter one you see that first half is the description the qualifications of a pastor and what a pastor is supposed to do a pastor is to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it you see that in chapter one verse nine the second half of chapter one is paul telling titus who those pastors are to protect the congregation from And he talks about them being foolish men, rebellious men, he says. And here's how he describes them. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their deeds. Which helps us understand what the the main message of the book of Titus is. 
Paul is saying, and it weaves in and out of this beautiful letter of three chapters, the gospel we believe, the good news of Jesus, will affect our behavior. That's the main idea of the book of Titus. And so it's interesting, Paul describes the rebellious men the pastors are supposed to protect the church from as, well, they profess to know God, but they deny him by the way they live their life. So chapter one is about leadership as part of the blueprint of a local church. But then we get to chapter two. And you know what chapter two is? Chapter two is the blueprint for everybody else. So regardless on who you are, where you come from, there's something for you, I believe, in this text. I want to ask you to be attentive on what that might be for you, especially if you are a part of this church, you're a member of this church, and you're wanting to know what your role is in this church that God has called you to. So this is what we find in in Titus chapter 2 in particular. Now, I want to direct your attention to the main definition of what a local church is supposed to be. Here's God's design for the local church. And then I want to dive into the passage to see that Titus chapter 2 shows us that this is the design of God. And let me say, it is the design of God anywhere in the world. Isn't that something that's very helpful about God's Word? It doesn't matter where you are, what culture, what country, all around the world. God's Word is God's truth that tells us how we're to conduct our lives. And this is what he does here in Titus chapter 2. The main design of God for the local church is this. God's design for the local church is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. God's design for the church is multi-generation, multi-ethnic. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write that down because that's exactly the design we're going to see in the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 is divided into two main parts. If you look down at the text with me. The first part is verses 1 through 10. We take your eyes to verses 1 through 10. Now you probably noticed as the passage was being read, there are these different groups that are, that are listed there. It mentions men and women and old and, and young and bond servants and, and masters, all, all kinds of different groups that are listed. So Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 are the different kinds of people that are supposed to be in these different churches in Crete. So that's why that list is there. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 is the second part. Look there with me. Verses 11 through 15 demonstrates what the gospel, the good news of Jesus, actually is that transforms these different groups of people in the church to empower them in their role and empower them to want to be together. And it's really important that we see this whole chapter together. Because you know what would happen if we just looked at verses 1 through 10? And it's got different groups, and here's your role, and here's how you live your life. You know what we're going to be tempted to do? Try really hard. And try really hard. And in our own strength, we try to do this. And that, as so many of you know, not, we will not live our lives to the honor of Christ in that way. It's not how it works. That's why the gospel has to transform us. Christ, by faith in him, transforms our hearts through the power of the Spirit and changes us in the inside that allows us to be able to live out our faith, to live out what is described in verses 1 through 10. One other thing I want to highlight as we look at these two, these two areas, the way, two parts of this passage. Look down at verses 1 through 10 again. Those different groups that we're going to look at specifically in a, few, in a moment, those are not different churches represented with those groups. In other words, Paul is not writing to Titus and say, so... That church of older men, and then that other church, you know, of younger women, and that other church of older women. 
Notice, look at the very top. He doesn't give a caveat. If there are old women in the church, have them play this role. He doesn't say, if there are young men, have them play this role. He is assuming every one of these groups we're going to look at are in every local church. And that's why each one of them have a particular role there to play if a church is going to be established in Crete and thrive and as well as here and anywhere else in the world. So in light of that, I want to give you a look at these three main areas. The transforming power of the gospel is displayed in the presence of three main areas. If you're taking notes, let me give these to you as we look at the, the first verses of this passage. The first area is old and young. Take your eyes down to verses 2 and 3. Notice this. He says specifically the older are to teach and train the younger. The younger are mentioned in verses 4 through 8. Notice that. Notice in verse 4, ladies, it's directly said of the older women to play this role. And I believe it's, it's strongly implied with the men. It's that common godly character that's being listed here and the ways that he describes the older and the younger men. Not to mention that Paul is writing to a younger pastoral protege, even teaching and mentoring him through this letter that he's writing. So there is this idea that there is old and young, and there are particular roles to be played with both of those groups. Here's the second group, men and women. Did you notice that? Look down in those same verses. We see that it's not just old and young, but it is actually men and women that are both mentioned here. Now, you need to know something about the first century. Paul writing this letter to Titus and saying that women have an equally important role in the church would have been scandalous for him to write. Because before the church came, women were treated as second-class citizens. So one of the significant things about the church being formed, and then Paul writing this prescription of what the church is supposed to look like, he's writing to Titus and saying, look, men and women have an equally important role in the local church. Make sure they're both doing what God calls them to do. And I say this because as I travel around the world and work with all kinds of different churches and as a pastor of a local church for a long time, I notice there's a lot of women that feel devalued in the local church. And I just want to emphasize to you, I just want you to hear from someone else because I know you hear it from your pastors here too. Ladies, you are just as valuable as the men. This church cannot thrive. It will not thrive without you. Now, unique, different roles, sure, that's being highlighted. But nonetheless, you are just as valuable. Ask and pray to God to find out what is your role, your task, to serve this church well because you are equally as valuable as anybody else in this church. And that's why there's men and women both mentioned here. But there's a third group that's really important that it's here, and that's in verses 9 and 10. You see bond servants and masters. Will you look down there with me? He gives specific instruction to the bond servants to, to submit to their masters and everything and to do so in a godly manner. Now, there is no modern equivalent of this really complicated relationship that's in verses 9 and 10. Probably the closest modern equivalent to this relationship of bond servant and master would be like a boss-employee type relationship in our lives. But there's all kinds of other things wrapped up in this. There was, there was socioeconomic diversity that's wrapped up. There's ethnic diversity that is wrapped up in this relationship. There's different prejudices wrapped up in this kind of relationship. But yet, did you notice that Paul is instructing Titus, assuming they're both 
in the same church, that they somehow have a role together to play. In other words, the verses 9 and 10 are highlighting this. The rich and the poor are supposed to be in the same church. The, the least of these and the greatest of these in, the, in a society, they're all supposed to be in the same church. The somebodies and the nobodies, they're all supposed to be in the same church. And both have an important role to play. And what is that role? It's to be all kinds of different, diverse people coming together in one place in a church. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime you bring a bunch of different people together, what should we expect would happen? We're probably not going to get along very well, are we? That actually will be a mess. Fights would happen probably. There are people who are different than us coming, and we're, and we're supposed to all be together. How in the world does that happen? That's why we need the last verses. Take your eyes to verse 11. Here's the answer. How is it that men and women and old and young and bondservants and masters and all that's wrapped up in that complicated relationship, how can all those different kinds of people come together in the same place and not just get along but somehow love each other and sacrifice for one another? Verse 11, this is the only way this is possible. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for who? All people. What if we read it like this? All kinds of people. Regardless on who you are, what you've done, where you come from, none of you in this room are beyond God's grace. You are not beyond His love. You have not done anything to where He cannot reach you and save you. And that's what he's saying there. That's how this group of people all comes together. Is the grace of God can transform the heart of anyone through faith alone in Christ. And Jesus comes and changes us from the inside and we end up living our lives differently. We view people in our lives differently. It's the power of the gospel that allows us to to be able to bring all kinds of different groups of people together in a church. And they love each other and they sacrifice for one another. Look at those following verses. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, and waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That's how he's changed us. He laid down his life He bore the punishment for our sins and the wrath of God that was on sin. And he bore it all for us and satisfied the wrath of God, the judgment of sin, so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he gave himself, verse 14, for us to what? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for what? Good deeds. What are the good deeds? Well, the good deeds are not what save us. Jesus does. The good deeds, though, are verses 1 through 10. And the different roles that we're to play and the different ways we're to live our life. 
So Jesus redeems and saves a group of people and brings them all together, just like this. And we're to live that out in our life together, in all of our differences, in all the different ways we look and act. For his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That is what the transforming power of the gospel does in a person's life. It not only saves us, brings forgiveness of our sins, and allows us to live in the freedom of of Christ in this world, but we also have the promise of eternal life, to forever be with Jesus, with everybody else who places their faith and trust in Christ. So when God brings this diverse, different, old, young group together in a church, and we live that out together, it is a picture of of what we will experience in heaven. When we sing together like we did a few moments ago, it's a picture of what we're going to do throughout eternity, all together with Jesus. That is God's design for the local church. And what I'd like to do from this moment is I'd like to kind of flesh out some implications of this. So I said there was something for everybody here. So perk up, figure out what maybe is for you out of these things. I want to mention five ways that Calvary Baptist Church can pursue this design, that all of you as a group together can pursue this design until the day we go into eternity and meet with Jesus. So five ways. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to to write these down because you will fall into one of these categories. Here's number one. The older are to seek and mentor the younger. The older are to seek and mentor the younger. That's exactly what that first part of Titus chapter 2 is talking about. And this is for older men and women. Now, I had the privilege of pastoring some amazing people through the years, some, some older saints, some even elderly saints that was a real gift to know them. And one of the things they taught me as a young pastor is they taught, these are people who maybe were the, the ones who led the church for 50 years, and then they hit a, a point in their life where they're They physically can't do the things they used to do. And one of the things I learned from the older members who had a hard time watching the church change and watching things happen differently in the church is they physically were unable to serve like they used to. I learned it wasn't that they were just being curmudgeons about change as much as they didn't know how to deal with the fact or make sense of the fact that they couldn't serve Jesus like they always had. Some of you maybe have experienced that. You've served a church for a long, long time, but maybe something in your life, whether it's something physical or something else, prevents you from serving the church like you once did. And I just want you to see from this design, there is still a valuable and crucial way for you to serve your church. And it's this, it's to seek out and mentor the younger in the church. Now, this is easier than you might think. It's simply to be available for the younger, to invite them over, to go spend time with them, meet with them and pray and read scripture together, get to know them, hear about what's going on in their life. If they don't respond well to your pursuit of them, well, we're young and foolish. That's why we need to learn from you. Do you notice I just put myself in the younger category just then? I don't see a cutoff date in the text. You can talk to me about it afterwards, but I'm pushing 50. I'm staying in the younger crowd for now. Pursue the younger. They need you. 
whether they know it or not. And by the way, this, is not, this doesn't have to be extreme in ages. This could be somebody you pursue who's 10 years younger than you. Or five years younger. You're, you're in that next stage of life than they are. They need you. But the older are to seek and mentor the younger. That's the first way you pursue this. Number two, the younger are to learn from and care for the older. The younger are to learn from and care for the older. Now, those who would characterize yourself as younger in this room, one of your big mistakes, first mistakes in this will be that you don't think that the older generation in this church or the people who are older than you in this church have nothing to teach you. Now, it's very likely they cannot help you fix your iPhone. But there is tons of things for you to learn from those who are older than you, who've walked with Jesus longer, who've lived life longer than you have, who've experienced more suffering than you in your life. Pursue them. To take care of them, but also to to learn from them. I had the sweet privilege of pastoring a woman. Her name was Tilly Roberts. She lived to be 106 years old. She was three months shy from her 107th birthday when she went to be with Jesus. She was an amazing woman. She had her sharp mind all the way to the, to the end of her life. She actually drove a car until she was 103 years old. We actually had a special parking spot for her where she could like turn, p- pull in perfectly and then pull out and not hit anybody and, and get home. I remember somebody's like, when do I get my special parking spot too? And I usually would respond with, you know, as soon as you hit up 100 years old, I promise you I will have a parking spot for you. And you're still driving? Nobody took me up on that, by the way. And I used to spend all kinds of time with Tilly because she was an amazing lady. Now, I want you to know in my time with her, she, she never changed my view on the atonement. She, in all our conversations, she didn't change my end times view. But I learned a lot from Tilly about life, about suffering and walking with Jesus through difficulty and suffering. She was widowed in her 60s and she never remarried. She practically lived another life as a widow. And I learned about marriage from her. I learned all kinds of things from her. And it was such precious lessons that I got to learn from her. One thing we used to go do, there was a group of elderly ladies in our church who used to have lunch together like once a month and they did it for decades. And it got to a point where all of them in their 90s, and none of them could drive anymore. And Tilly could drive, but we thought that was a bad idea for Tilly to be the carpool person for this, for the lunch. So I would go get the van from my wife, and I'd go around and pick up all these elderly ladies at their home and load them up in the van, and I'd say, you know, let's go to lunch somewhere. They always wanted to go to Cracker Barrel. Have any of you ever heard of Cracker Barrel before? Okay. So it's this restaurant, like Southern comfort food. Think U.S. Southern comfort food. And we always want to go there. So we take them there, and as we're waiting for our food, in this restaurant, every one of them, they're a chain all throughout the U.S. On the walls hang antique farming tools that are like 100 years old. And I'm a city kid, so it kind of freaks me out when I just sit around these things. And Tilly sits there as we're waiting for the food, and she starts explaining to me what every one of these tools are hanging on the wall because she grew up on a farm, and she's old enough to remember when there weren't any cars. And she was able to teach me about all that. Where else am I going to learn something like that? Younger men and women in the church, there's a wealth of knowledge sitting around you of people who are maybe much older or just a little bit older than you. And I want to encourage you to seek them out and learn from them. Because you will hit a point in your life one day where you will regret having not learned from an older generation. 
about life and about following Jesus. Number three, be content-driven with music. Be content-driven with music. Some of you are like, where's that in the text? I'll show you. It's okay. Look out at the text. This is an implication certainly drawn from it. But when I look at Titus 2, and this design is about multi-ethnic and multi-generation. As I work with churches all around the world, you know what the number one thing that divides churches is music. Music style, the songs you sing, all, those, all the things that everybody wants to divide. Now, some think the solution is, oh, we just try to please everybody and make, try to do something for everybody. But that never works. You know why? Because every single one of you in this room have your own musical preferences. And by the way, you should praise God for that. You're created in the image of God uniquely from everybody else. That's something to celebrate. What would have been fun last night at the beach with the fire is if we all just started sharing about what, what music we listened to on our playlist this past week. That would have been a really fun exercise, I would think. It's okay to celebrate that, even good. The problem is when we bring it into the church where we're supposed to be united, that's where a lot of the fights happen. So what's the solution? If this is the design, we unite around the truth we sing, not how we sing it. That's, that's, the, that's the solution. And think about what we sing today. I bet all of us have different musical style preferences, but I bet most of us in this room are in strong agreement with every word we sang today. There is a vastness for God's deep love for us. And we sang that. Though the body he may kill, God's truth still abides. And his kingdom will reign forever. That unites us. Be united around the singing of corporate worship in content. So a great question to ask yourself when you leave church. Do people leave your services here talking about how how great the music was done or how the music was done or what great truths we actually sang about? Now, the music was done excellently today. It really was. But I'm leaving here encouraged because of the truths we sang, not necessarily how well the musicians led us. Friends, be united around the content and compromise with one another knowing we all have the different music preferences. Number four way to pursue this design. Embrace all kinds of diversity in your church. All kinds. And this is why verses 9 and 10 are so important to be there in this design. It's not just about gender and men and women and, and generational diversity. It's also about it's like every other piece of diversity that exists around us. Why is this important? Why is verse 9 and 10 crucial to have there? Because the eternal picture in the book of Revelation is that every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be gathered around the throne forever worshiping Christ. The more different we are when we gather to sing and to worship together and to hear the word like we've done today, the more of a taste of what eternity will be like. The more different we are and we come together and can sing the same truth, the more picture of heaven that will be. Embrace all kinds of diversity. You know what that means? That means embracing somebody completely different than you are who would walk through those doors one day. Maybe somebody came today who's completely different than who you are. And God is calling you to love them and to receive them and to let them know we may be incredibly different, but we are all united by one reason, and that is 
being saved by faith in Christ. Which leads to the last way that you can pursue this design as a church. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. Trust that. Trust in the power of Christ to be enough to unite you in all of your differences. This is best illustrated by a work day we had at our church many years ago. At our church, we had a big, old, beautiful building, but it was, but it was a lot of work to keep up with. And so we would have something called a work day a couple times a year. You may have those here, too, with the, this new, beautiful building. I love being able to see this. The whole church would come together on a Saturday morning, and we'd have all these just jobs to do, and we would all work together to try to you know, do the cleaning and fixing these things and, and try to get all of it done in that way. There was one particular work day where three people showed up in our church. One guy was a single 30-year-old. His name was Mike. Mike was a student in the U.S. He was from Scotland. He's from Glasgow. And he had a really thick Scottish accent that proved he was from Glasgow. And Mike came and wanted to help where he could become a member of our church. He was a real blessing to our church. And he wanted to work outside where the shrubs are because he did professional landscaping in Scotland. Scotland's a beautiful place. And he knew what he was doing in the landscaping he used to do at home, and he wanted to work out there. We had some beautiful shrubs, but a lot of work around the church. So I was like, great, that's a great idea, Mike. Two other people showed up, Howard and May, two long-term members in their 80s. Howard was a deacon in our church, and they had been members for 50 years. And they, too, wanted to go work in the shrubs and the bushes outside. You know why? Because they planted most of those shrubs and bushes through the years, and they naturally wanted to go work outside to be a part of that. Now, I was a little concerned for the three of them to work together. Because, see, Howard and May, there's a big age gap and things, and you know, Mike's from Scotland, and, and, and Howard and May aren't from Scotland, just so you know. They're from Kentucky, and they've lived there their whole life. And I wasn't sure how well Mike would you know, maybe take instruction from this older couple. And let's just say that May in particular loves to give instructions on how the shrubs and the trees should be trimmed. So you're with me. I'm a little concerned. But I'll send them out let them go. They work all morning. Everybody comes in for lunch. Mike comes and finds me. And he says, hey, i got to go, but let's walk outside. Let me show you what we did. And he's walking me through all the work they did outside. And he just went on and on about how much he loved working with Howard May outside in the bushes. He said, because, you know, we were trimming these shrubs. And, and Howard May were telling me what, what exciting things were happening at the church 30 years ago when these shrubs were being planted. He said, then we were trimming these trees over here, and they started telling me about the fights happening at the church 20 years ago when these trees were being planted. He said, I learned this amazing history of the church. I would have never learned anywhere else. So he loved it. But I hadn't talked to Howard and May just yet. Not till the next morning. They found me before the service, and May comes up to me. She has a big smile on her face. She says, boy, I like that Mike. He is a good worker. I have no idea what he is saying, but I like him a lot. Let me ask you a question. Do you see the power of the gospel in that to unite? Two people, different age, different gender, different nationality, different socioeconomic class. And I assure you they could have found tons of ways to dislike each other. But they were united around two things and two things only. Their love for Christ and their love for our church. And with spiritual eyes, they were able to look upon the other. Spiritual eyes that only God can give through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. To look upon the other, see God's design, and see their value. Friends, trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. 
in this place. So two final exhortations for you as I close. Number one, I want to encourage you to celebrate the evidence of God's blessing and grace in this place. See, I don't, I don't know each one of you individually. So you're thinking, well, how can you say that? You don't know me. Because I'm not basing whether God's at work here on how much money you have or how many people are here. Which is the way a lot of people love to determine whether God's working somewhere. But I don't see that. What I see is, is God's design being fleshed out is the evidence. And I look out and I see, I see old and I see young. I see men and I see women. I see different colors of people. I see different socioeconomic classes I'm sure represented here. Friends, God's, God's at work here. Just by me looking on seeing each one of you. Celebrate that. Be encouraged. Press on in the work here in this place because God is indeed at work just by the group, the different kinds of people who he's assembled in one place united around Christ. My second exhortation to you is this. How have you been challenged to grow in this moment? Remember I said there was something for everybody. You either fall into the young or old category. You're either a man or a woman. What, which category are you? And what is God moving you to serve in this church? What's maybe the one step you need to take from this exhortation? Maybe you're, you need to pursue that older person that you've been afraid to pursue or you didn't think there was value there. Maybe you're older and you wanted to invest in somebody younger, but you thought there's no way they're going to receive my, my care. Maybe it's your neighbor or your coworker who is so different than you, you avoid them at all costs because they're so different than you that you maybe need to begin a relationship with them. What is it that God's calling you to? Because the more motley a crew that gets assembled here in Christ under the power of the gospel is a display of the gospel to this community, this city, and the world that God is indeed at work here. So let me take a moment and pray for each of you in that way. Let's pray. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for the way you clearly are at work in this place. Would you continue to pour out your blessing? Bring revival as we sung a moment ago. But may it come because you are bringing those from all different backgrounds and groups of people, men and women, old and young. And Lord, continue to build this church on your design for your glory. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.